0: The Chicago Bears aren't going to win a lot of games scoring 10 points and passing for 70 yards, so we're going to dive into the All-22 tape and try and figure out, is the problem right now Justin Fields, or is it the Chicago Bears' offense around him? You are Locked On Bears, your daily Chicago Bears podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And make sure you hit that subscribe button on the Locked On Bears YouTube channel to keep up with all of our video podcasts as well. Thanks for making the Locked On Bears podcast your first listen today. Today's episode is presented by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. Pick two to five players and whether they'll score more or less than their prize picks projections, and you can win up to 10 times your money on your entry. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match. Up to $100 with our promo code LOCKED ON. That's prizepicks.com, promo code LOCKED ON. On the show today, we're diving into this all 22 coaches film of the Bears' loss against the Green Bay Packers. We will go through all of Justin Field's passing plays. I've watched every single one, not only the ones he attempted, but the ones he was sacked, the ones that they were penalties, the ones that he scrambled, to kind of get a sense of what he's doing, both what he's doing well and what he's doing Poorly and still needs to keep working on. We'll go through a couple of play examples that stand out from that one. And we'll also look at this Bears offense as a whole. Some of the things that it feels like the coaching staff could do better, the receivers, the offensive line could do better, and how that all sort of combines to lead to some of the offensive problems that the Bears are dealing with. We'll wrap up with a look at this Bears defense and some of what went wrong besides The obvious missed tackles, but some of the schematic things that the Packers were doing well and that the Bears were struggling with that led to the lopsided performance that we saw on Sunday night. But we need to start with with Justin Fields. That, you know, on the surface, right, you look at the stat line, we know seven for 11, 70 yards, one interception, a passer rating in the 40s. Not great. Not a strong performance from Justin Fields no matter how you want to slice and dice it. And we talked in the podcast yesterday about how, you know, the interception was in garbage time. He, Everyone knew he was passing. There's two minutes left. They're down 17. You just try to force a ball down there. I don't. I don't see that as like a play to be concerned about Fields making a bad decision or whatever. And so like when you sort of take that out of the equation, you look across the game, he didn't really make a bad decision in terms of like throwing a, an interceptable pass or making the wrong read on a play and putting it the ball in harm's way. He took care of the football. It just didn't go very far when he did throw the ball. It was a lot of checkdowns and things like that that limited some of the offensive production. But when you start going through the All-22 film, like the, the first thing I was wondering is like, okay, are receivers getting open downfield and is Fields then just not seeing them or getting his eyes over to them? Or is everyone just covered up because these receivers are no good? And he can't find anybody open downfield because no one's open downfield. And he has to either check it down or scramble or hold on to the ball too long and take sacks. And as usual, the All-22 film will never show you everything being black and white. It's never, it's never all one case or the other. It's about kind of figuring out, okay, how often is it X, Y, or Z? And I didn't go in through it specifically say, okay, it was four plays where no one was open and five plays where... Someone was open and fields, didn't see them. You know, I mean, we're not trying to put quantify it in that way in terms of you know, such a small sample size, especially in a game like this. Because first and foremost, the Bears just did not throw it all that much. And we'll get, kind of get into some of the more offensive situation there with the run to pass ratio in a little bit. But I wanted to focus kind of specifically then on fields in this process. And I thought the main takeaway I had in this game was that he still has been a little bit too slow to to read and decide and, and throw. And I think we have to be careful how we talk about quarterback processing because there's different different levels of quarterback processing and different things that they need to process at certain speeds. And I think what's standing out for me with Fields through this, these first two games, but really the, mostly this second game because the first one was in the rain, is that like I, I think Fields is seeing what he is supposed to be seeing. He's reading the coverage correctly and understanding the routes based on the coverage correctly. He's just a little bit slow still getting through them and then getting then to the point to throw to where like his eyes will go where they're supposed to against the coverage, but it doesn't click through his brain fast enough to be able to then step and throw in the window that he has to hit that route against that coverage. And so he ends up going on to his next read or some of those plays that he's throwing the ball, maybe just later in the timing than you would like that if you got it out a little bit earlier has a higher percentage chance of being completed and, and, you know, could maybe lead the receiver better to have yards after the catch or whatever it might be. And I think that's really encapsulated on the play that he was flagged for an illegal forward pass where he was like three yards past the line of scrimmage. It's kind of embarrassing, right? I mean, it's just, it, it's, it's ugly. And it felt like a, a lack of awareness of where the sticks were and, and all that. Yes. But, but like the, the, he's throwing to I think, Equinemius St. Brown on a, like a deep in route, like a route over the middle of a dig route just coming parallel to the line of scrimmage. And like, when you watch that play, it's the right, it's a, it's a good read because he's not, He's not the first read on that play. Like, he lets another route underneath pull the coverage away that creates the space for where that ball is supposed to go. And he does throw the ball there just after he gets two seconds past or two, two, two yards past the line of scrimmage. And, like, when you watch the all 22, where you can see the route and the throw and the quarterback at the same time, it's like once he steps up into the pocket, he has the time and the route is there to stop, set, and throw. It's like he's seeing it as he's stepping up, and he's. it takes him a while from from seeing it to then deciding to throw and then throwing the ball when he's getting open the entire time. And I think it's a contrast to what you see on the other side with Aaron Rodgers, who so often has the perfect anticipatory timing that he's throwing the ball before the receiver's open. He's throwing it as the receiver is getting out of the break. And of course, Rodgers is the gold standard. Like he is maybe the best, best or second best in the NFL and one of the best in NFL history at doing that. So we wouldn't expect Justin Fields to be on that standard. And and so the contrast isn't fair, but when you see Rodgers have these perfect timing throws and then Fields is late on throws, it makes it stand out a little bit, a little bit more. I I do think to answer sort of the, the opening question, receivers are getting open on plays. It's not that every play someone is wide open and Fields is never seeing them, but rarely were there total plays where just no one is open and Fields has nothing he can do with the ball. The problem ends up being how quickly he can see it and throw it and then also the pass protection and, and, and being able to get through the progression to get to where he needs to go with the ball and having time to then set his feet and throw that ball. It's a combination of Fields being a little bit slow and also the pass protection not always giving him enough time to get through that. I think his type of slowness feels correctable because he's making the right decisions on it he's just making that decision late so i would think intuitively if he's seeing it correctly it's just taking a second to get there And if you keep seeing it correctly over time that process should in theory get faster with more experience maybe that's easier said than done maybe that's wishful thinking but i think that feels more intuitive than say like it's not like mitch trubisky wasn't reading the coverages correctly and needed to become a master of coverages is what Matt Nagy had said, you know, after his third season. So I think there's still more reason to be optimistic about Field's ability to speed up in this specific type of processing. And, you know, and certainly it's not leading him to bad decisions or interceptions that are considerably poor throws up to this point in his career. So cautiously optimistic and not over the top worried about Justin Fields, especially because I think the offense around him can do more to support him, more to support the receivers and more to just help this unit as a whole function higher. Fields, I think his mistakes and his processing is part of the problem. I think the offensive structure right now is still finding that full identity and coming together. We'll kind of go through what the All-22 film showed about this Bears offense next on Locked on Bears. This episode of Locked on Bears is brought to you by our friends at Turo. Turo is the world's largest car-sharing marketplace. With Turo, you can book any car you want, wherever you want it, from a community of local hosts. Browse a huge selection of vehicles for just about any occasion or budget across the United States, or if you're one of our listeners in Canada or the United Kingdom, Turo is there as well. If you want to book a spacious SUV or miniman for a family road trip, they got you covered. You want to get like a cool luxury car or a classic car for a birthday or a holiday or some kind of special event, they got it at Turo. Or if you're just on a budget, need to get from point A to point B, they've got plenty of affordable economy cars for you there as well. And many Turo hosts can even deliver the car right to you. Every trip is backed by liability insurance, so you're covered. Terms, conditions, and exclusions apply. Ditch boring rental cars and find your drive at Turo.com. That's T U R O.com. Justin Fields needs to speed up his processing. Yes, but I also don't think this Bears offense right now is fully optimized just yet around Justin Fields. It's certainly steps forward and progress from what they were doing around Justin Fields schematically play calling wise compared to what they were doing with Matt Nagy. But it does feel like there's more that they can do here, right? I mean, first and foremost, Everyone's been talking about, the, you know, the run-pass ratio in this game. 11 pass attempts for Fields and, what was it, like 27, I think, total rushing attempts across Fields, um, Montgomery and Khalil Herbert. And they ran the ball well. And that's what Matt Eberflew said. Like, we didn't pass as much because we were running well. And I think that's fair. I think that, it's, that helps explain a, a lot of it. And I think there's also a kind of a hidden run-pass ratio here that has gotten overlooked In this process that, yes, Justin Fields attempted 11 passes in this game, but the Bears called more than 11 passing plays. You know, Luke Getzey calls calls run or pass, but that doesn't necessarily. But calling a passing play does not guarantee that there will be a pass attempt on the passing play that you call. You know, for example, three of Fields's passing plays were sacks. So those don't go down as a pass attempt. You only attempted 11 passes, but had three sacks. So you add those in right away, you're up to 14 passing plays. Or you look, Fields had three of Fields' eight runs were on designed passing plays where receivers were running routes, plays that were considered a quarterback scramble. So not the direct snap quarterback power, not a read option. It had to be a play where the offensive line was pass blocking and receivers were running routes and Fields decided to still run with the ball three of his runs were on passing plays. So that's three passing plays from sacks and three passing plays from scrambles is six more passing plays. That puts us at 17 passing plays and also subtracts three from the rushing plays because those three fields scrambles were runs on the stat sheet, yes, but were passing plays called in the run-pass play-calling ratio from Luke Getze. And then one other play I'll throw in there, the illegal forward pass play was a passing play, but because it's a penalty and a loss of down, it does not count as a passing play in the sheet. It's just a loss down on penalties. So that's seven additional passing plays that were called that did not have recorded pass attempts on there. So really, when you do the math, Matt, Luke Getzey called 19 passing plays and 24 running plays in the game. Still more runs than passes, still would want to pass the ball more, yes. But 19 to 24 feels a lot less drastic then 11 to 27. That's, again, I'm not trying to say all of it's excused and that he was actually doing a great job or whatever you might want to say, but like it wasn't as huge of a split and as dire as you might think only because there were seven passing plays that didn't actually have pass attempts and three of those subtract from the running plays that the Bears actually had called. So there's, that's, I wanted to address that about the run pass ratio. Now, the other things that I think offensively could, could need to change here a little bit is one, you, know, like you notice how in the first half, and we'll get to the Bears' defense in a minute here, like the Bears got a couple of sacks on Aaron Rodgers and were making him uncomfortable for like that first couple of drives, first quarter and, and a little bit in the second quarter. But then like those three touchdown scoring drives, the Packers went to a lot more of those quick passes, right? It was it was Sammy Watkins on a slant or Randall Cobb out of the backfield or a little jet sweep to Christian Watson or jet sweep to, to uh, the running back Aaron Jones across the field. The Packers had designed quicker passing plays quite often there to help Aaron Rodgers and to slow down some of the Bears' pass rush. And it didn't feel like the Bears had as many of those types of quick, schemed passes. And it's not Fields' is bread and butter. I, I mean, I, so, and, and that's that's the delicate game you play here because Nagy tried to force too many of those little quick curl-type plays. But at the same time, I think the Bears could have done more to try and set up more easy yards. They ran a couple running back screens on third and long But that, I mean, those were easy completions, but weren't really addressing moving the ball. Or they ran a couple of, they ran at least one slant on third and long too that was completed for nine yards, but left you with fourth and 10 because they just had so many yards to gain. But like, I want those, I want the slant on first and 10 or second and five, right? You know, where it's making progress and it's not just getting you a a closer punt when it's all said and done. I thought the Bears could have done more to design passing plays that were easier just easy yards for fields, easy completion, get things moving forward when the offense was struggling to do so. Or or the other thing that stands out, right, is like how effective the Packers were at matchups. They, they've done this over the years with Devontae Adams, but like in this game, we all saw how often they went after Kyler Gordon. Or, and, and you know, it didn't seem like the Bears had, it, not often... Uh, Certainly under the previous regime, and we haven't seen it much yet under this regime, do they clearly identify a a weakness in the defense and attack it? Like the weakness they identified was just running the football, which I guess counts. But in the passing game in particular, when we're talking about fields and the 70 passing yards, doesn't seem like the Bears have been able to identify those yet. Maybe the Packers and, and 49ers just didn't have glaring passing weaknesses to attack. I think that's. That's a fair criticism, but it's something I'm looking to see more in the future. Or sometimes it's just like getting good matchups for your players. The Packers had a 3rd and 8 there where they put Randall Cobb in the backfield, the shotgun backfield next to Aaron Rodgers, and he ran a little out and in route over the middle of the field, man coverage against Roquan Smith. And wide wide receiver versus linebacker, even a linebacker as athletic as Roquan Smith generally tends to be a mismatch, you know. Roquan Smith's better against a tight end or a running back, sure, but a wide receiver is tough for any linebacker to cover. One on one, and it was an easy read, easy pass for Rodgers over the middle of the field in an advantageous matchup for the offense that just doesn't feel like we've quite seen the Bears set as much of that up for Justin Fields. Now, both Fields struggles and some of the Bears' offensive struggles as a whole, I think you can point to it being a brand new offense for your quarterback, brand new receivers for your quarterback. Like, I'm totally willing to be patient on these things. And I think this Packers game identified a lot of things the Bears can work on from here moving forward. And we did see, you know, we did see some progress, right? We we did see uh, on that first touchdown scoring drive and on the second touchdown, well, the second drive that didn't technically cross the plane according to the referees, but the two long successful drives, the Bears got up and did some tempo things. You know, they got the Packers with 12 men on the field that wasn't called and they did the, the free play shot over the top. There was a running play where the defensive line wasn't set and they handed off and went like, they mixed in tempo, they mixed in some motion, they mixed in some RPOs. They're doing some of the things and maybe it's just an, a product of they can't do everything all at once with a brand new offense and brand new receivers and an offensive line that's still a work in progress. So again, I'm I'm willing to give them some patience and some benefit of the doubt here. And it's still early in the season and everything is fresh. But I think we're seeing both quarterback learning curve and developmental bumps along the road. And we're also seeing more things that the offense can do. Like there there was a play where Fields checked it down to, to Dave Montgomery, but like, Darnell Mooney chipped, stayed in to help block on the, to help Braxton Jones and then ran into the flat. And that's just not using Darnell Mooney to his best. I don't, I don't mind the idea of having an extra player stay in to help the tackle real quick before going into your route. Don't make it your number one wide receiver. Make that Dante Pettis or whoever you, but just have Darnell Mooney run a real route that could get a first down and not just a check. Don't make Darnell Mooney your check down. I he's too talented to just be a check down on a third and eight. First down, whatever, I guess. But like third and eight puts your best players in the best position to move the chains. And Darna Mooney was not in in that particular play. So like just, just little examples like that that the Bears can get better at around Justin Fields. And there are, of course, many ways Justin Fields still needs to get better as well. And of course, the defense needs to be better as well. Allowing 27 points is not a super great performance. And 21 points in the second quarter is not... Winning football, so we'll we'll look at the All 22 on some of the things we saw defensively on this Bears, you know, on Matt Eberflus's side of the ball, and and what they can kind of do to correct some of that stuff moving forward. Next on Locked On Bears, this episode of Locked On Bears is brought to you by our friends at Prize Picks, the better way to do daily fantasy football. Because Prize Picks isn't like regular like the, fan- the daily fantasy you might be used to. Prize Picks is you against the house. You're not competing against other people, so you're totally in control of your destiny. You pick two to five players and decide if they'll score more or less than their prize picks projection, and then you can win up to 10 times your money back on any entry. It's super easy. You can make your entries in literally 60 seconds, and then when you're ready to withdraw, you win some money. It's safe and fast to get those withdrawals. And It's currently operational in over 30 states and Canada. Not just prize picks on Bears games, but all of... Professional and college football, professional and college basketball, baseball, hockey, golf, soccer, tennis, combat sports, NASCAR, you name it, they have it at PrizePix. Download the PrizePix app or go to prizepix.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with our promo code LOCKED ON. If you deposit $100, PrizePix will give you $100. If you deposit $50, Prize picks will give you 50. Just don't forget to enter that promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. This Bears defense obviously struggled to stop the Packers in the ground game. And we could see clearly that missed tackles were a problem. I saw pro football focus had the Packers with 17 missed tackles. And it wasn't like it was just the same guy. I mean, Jaquan Brisker had the team high with four. That was bad. Jaquan Brisker was, was, was rough out there. He came flying in. He had good energy. He just wasn't wrapping up, and that was tough. But 11 different players missed tackles. For those of you playing along at home, there are 11 players on the field on defense. Now, it wasn't all 11 starters because they rotate in other players. Not every single Bears defensive player missed a tackle in this game. But when 11 different guys are missing tackles feels like a slightly bigger problem than just Brisker messing up a few times. I think Gordon missed a couple, Roquan missed a couple, and Angelo Blackson, I think, was the other one who missed two tackles. But pretty much every, almost every other player also missed one. It's almost easier to just say the players who didn't miss a tackle on this Bears defense, Robert Quinn, Travis Gibson, Justin Jones, Kendall Vildor, Dominique Robinson, and then the undrafted rookie Kingsley Jonathan, who only played six snaps. But like your main guys, Wilder, Jones, Gibson, and Quinn were the ones who didn't miss a tackle. Everybody else missed at least one based on pro football focus's charting. So like, there's a big thing. How about tackling more effectively? But the thing that I noticed about like the Bears tackling in this game is even when they were tackling the ball carrier, too often it it felt like the Bears defenders we're we're getting hit by the ball carrier and not hitting the ball carrier. Like they're especially when they're getting to the edge and when they're getting up the middle. I think the Bears were were, were pretty tight there. But when it, when they're just trying to get outside and get to the speed, like they're running, like the ball carrier is trying to get downfield and they're running into the ball carrier and like, they like like Roquan Smith or or sometimes it was Jaquan Brisker, sometimes it was Nick Morrow. Like they're receiving the the brunt of the contact. It's like they're getting hit and bringing the running back down with them. But like, they're not initiating the contact. You know, who's, who's the one who's laying their shoulder into the other one? Who's the one who's really laying the wood? So often it was the offensive player., I, I just don't think the bears are necessarily getting downhill coming in with that head of steam. Sometimes they're over pursuing, they're going over blocks and not really through them. It just didn't feel like the defense in the running game, specifically on the back end. The defensive line, I think, was pretty physical. They were sometimes reading things wrong, but they were pretty physical. But the linebackers and DBs did not feel like they were physical. They didn't really want to hit the running back. They wanted to bring him down. They weren't not trying to tackle them. But they weren't enforcing. And, like, Brisker is supposed to come in and be the enforcer. And he, he kept, again, kind of flying off or overrunning or taking bad angles. I mean, there were bad angles and everything across the board there, and that was also a big part of the problem play action with this defense, also a very big problem. They step up on these play action passes and let leave so much space behind them on those crossing over the middle of the field plays, slants, digs, ins, and deep crossing routes. Still a very big problem for this Bears defense that I think we're going to keep seeing other teams attack until they prove they can stop doing it. They just really bite hard on play action. And then our trying to get back into their zones or whatever it might be and not feeling the receivers behind them and a little slow to get to their landmarks and just, it becomes way too easy. Like they're they're either, it's either like they're too slow to see that it's a run or a pass and then they're coming back or there's some place when it's like they're in, in like the run defense, they're like so predetermined to like blitz or to get to a spot and then they're missing exactly where the ball carrier is and where they're going because they're just trying to get to their thing and it's like, it's not fully clicking there for, for anybody in the back end. Like, I've long been critical of, of Roquan Smith only because I think if we want to talk about Roquan Smith as a top-end linebacker, we need to hold him to a standard of being a top-end linebacker. But any any criticism you want to give Roquan, Nick Morrow deserves just as strongly. He's been struggling quite a bit. It's just, I think we have we should have different expectations for those players. And this was not just a Roquan Smith mistake game. I mean, the cornerbacks were struggling especially Gordon in the slot in run defense was was a problem. The safeties weren't weren't great. Brisker was missing a lot of tackles and Jackson's usually the last line of defense. So if they're getting Eddie Jackson, then they're already 10 yards downfield and it's not really saving anything at that point. So I think that was a little bit tough. And then the last thing I want to say is on on Kyler Gordon. Targeted 13 times, gave up what I think 10 catches for 160 some odd yards and and I think two touchdowns in this game. 163 yards and two touchdowns and it was bad, right? I mean, he did not have a good game. There's no, there's no sugarcoating that. But I do want to point out a couple things in addition to that. Yes, he was burned a few times. He was behind in coverage. He was late in reacting. He took bad angles. It was a bad game for a rookie cornerback for sure. However, first drive of the game, pass breakup on Allen Lazard in the end zone, saved a touchdown, saved four points. Packers had to settle for a field goal. That was a good play. And then I think in the third quarter, sometime in the second half, there was a, a play, he was in press man coverage on Sammy Watkins. They tried to run a quick slant on an RPO and Kyler Gordon was all over it and made sure that pass was not completed. It was really good because he had two really great plays in coverage. And then about eight really bad plays in coverage, but still, it was not all bad. And the other thing is that, you know, we see the coverage stats, 10 catches, 13 targets, 163 yards. And sometimes we can be too quick to assume that, okay, All 10 of those plays were him getting burned one-on-one for a big game. And that's not the case. And it's, again, I I don't want to sugarcoat the performance or say he was somehow good or tell you that he wasn't bad. But three or four of those 10 catches were screen passes. You know, one wide receiver screen, jet sweep, running back screen. And there was another one too, I think. So like those aren't plays he's getting burned in coverage. They just, it's his coverage responsibility but it's caught behind the line of scrimmage. So he's not losing his one-on-one battle in coverage on, on those plays. So you can take away some of the 10 of 13 for 163 yards. And I would also say that the the worst one of the day was a 55-yard deep over-the-middle bomb to Sammy Watkins off play. No, that wasn't play action, but on, the, on that play, bad coverage by Kyler Gordon for sure. But the Bears are in single high safety defense, cover three. Eddie Jackson's in the middle of the field. And Eddie Jackson lets Sammy Watkins go behind him. And when you're the single deep safety, whether it's cover one or cover three, it was cover three on that play, your only, not your only job, but your number one job is to say no one gets deeper than you. And he just... I don't know, he just didn't feel it, didn't see it. But like Gordon Gordon and, and Watkins are to his left and they just like run behind him. And he's like, then he turns and runs with them, but not till he's also been blown by. And I think Gordon was expecting, like Gordon's playing outside leverage on the route, thinking he has inside help from Eddie Jackson. If the route goes in, the route goes in, Jackson's not there to help. He's not on top of it. So then Gordon's way behind, Jackson's way behind. It's a 55 yard gain for the Green Bay Packers. Not saying that means it was great, coverage. It doesn't mean it was like excuses what Eddie Jack or what Kyler Gordon was trying to do on the play, but like, it's not as simple as, oh, Kyler Gordon did nothing right and was burned 10 times for 163 yards. It's like, well, yes, but wasn't as terrible as it looks. It wasn't a complete disaster. There were some redeeming moments there and some things that look worse when it's a stat sheet and look less worse when you watch it on tape. So I hope I hope we're able to gain some things. That's why I love watching the All-22 film because you really gain a lot more context and nuance to what we first saw with our eyes watching live very quickly and then also see in box scores and advanced stats as well. So I hope you learn something when we do these All-22 podcasts. They always end up going longer than I intend to, but there's so much information to get to and I want to get it out there and I don't want to have to talk a thousand miles an hour to get it in. So I hope you learned something. I hope you enjoyed this All-22 breakdown. If you did, make sure you hit that subscribe button on the Lockdown Bears YouTube channel or wherever you're listening to this podcast. That's going to be the best way to keep up with all of our daily, in-depth Chicago Bears news and analysis. Thanks for making the Lockdown Bears podcast your first listen today and hopefully every day. Don't forget, Lockdown Podcast Network is your team every day. So if you're looking for your second listen, we've got your teams covered. Lockdown Bulls, Lockdown Cubs, Lockdown White Sox, Lockdown Blackhawks. Locked On, Northwestern Wildcats, Locked On, Fighting Illini, and so much more. Wherever your team is, we've got you covered every single day. So check out some of the other Locked On podcasts for your second listen. Come back tomorrow for your first listen on Locked On Bears. And of course, come back for your next opportunity to bear down.